Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Oh. Oh, I'm back. All right, let's do this thing the right way. Hey, spooktacular people. This is Stephen Pappas, and I'm an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast. Every episode of History Goes Bump is entirely listener-supported. If you'd like to support the show, check out the Support the Show tab at historygoesbump.com. I did it. I did it like everybody else, and nothing weird happened. Guess what? Boo. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 197th episode of the History Ghost Bomb podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we are taking you to a location in Michigan, and that is Mackinac Island. This was suggested to us by two of our listeners, Christy Kostakin and Emily Reidner. And Emily is going to be joining us shortly to share a little bit about what the island looks like from her perspective. She shared a bunch of pictures with us that we have up in the show notes. And we're going to talk about the hauntings that are going on in this island. It has definitely got some supernatural stuff going on there. And Denise, when I was researching this, I had a lot of fun. This is a fabulous location. I thoroughly enjoyed checking out the legends that are connected to this. And if ever there was a haunted island out there, this one definitely seems like it has a real possibility for that. Yes, and just talking to Emily and just the things that we've gone over so far, I've definitely added this to our travel list because I would love to go and see it in person. There's lighthouses there, beautiful nature, and it just seems like a really, really neat place to visit. And one of my most favorite movies of all time, Somewhere in Time, was filmed there. And that is when I first fell in love with this location. I didn't know what the place was. I just know I was mesmerized by the look of it, the clothing. It really did it for me. So to find out that Mackinac Island is still in that kind of pristine condition where they try to keep it in that Victorian era and where they don't allow cars and such there, just great. Before we get into talking about that, we want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Nick. Hey, Nick. Tara. Hello, Tara. And Eleonora. Hey, Eleonora. She spells her name really cool. E-L-E-O-N-O-R-A. Yes, it's a very unique and fun way to spell it. And now, this moment naughty. A most unpleasant job of the royal court was created during the reign of King Henry VIII. That job was serving as the king's close stool or the groom of the stool. The unfortunate requirement of this job was to assist the king during his bowel movements. The stool was a portable toilet made with a velvet cushioned seat that had a large hole in the center. The groom carried it around along with water, a wash bowl, and towels. 
The groom would keep track of the king's daily meal times and coordinate it with his normal bowel movements. That way, the groom was always prepared with the commode. While many may think that this was the worst job in history, it was a highly coveted position and gave the man who held this title much power. He was generally the king's confidant and helped with other personal and private tasks. It was common for the sons of noble men or members of the gentry to be awarded the job. Mad King George III employed the most grooms during his reign. The rule continued through to 1901 when King Edward VII abolished the position. The fact that a job that would seem humiliating to us was held in high regard certainly is odd. Grab your slippers, hot chocolate, flashlight, and maybe even that baseball bat. And now, This Month in History. In the month of April, on the 15th in 1817, the first American school for the deaf was founded by Thomas Gallaudet and Laurent Clerc in Hartford, Connecticut. Thomas was visiting his family when he noticed that a young girl was not playing with his brothers and sisters. He went over to her and realized she was deaf. He pointed to his hat and then wrote H-A-T in the dirt. The girl smiled and nodded, and he was inspired to teach the deaf communication. Her father financed a trip for Thomas to go to England to study the deaf schools there. Those schools used an oral method of education that required students to learn to read lips and talk. He was not satisfied with that method and sought out Abbé Sicard, the director of the Institut Royal des Sourds Mouets in Paris, France. He joined the director back in Paris along with two faculty members from the school named Laurent Clerc and Jean Michou. He asked Laurent to accompany him back to America. As they traveled back, Laurent taught Thomas sign language and Thomas taught him English. They decided to start their own school and establish the American School for the Deaf in 1817. Laurent Clerc became the first deaf teacher of deaf students in the United States. Mackinac Island truly is a place lost in time. This is an island without vehicles and the hustle and bustle of our modern era. People flock to this popular Michigan tourist destination for relaxation in a place where lodgings are family-owned and the fudge recipes date back to the 19th century. But beneath the exterior of beauty and sun and calm lies an undercurrent. Legends, fables, and mysticism spawn tales of creepy phenomenon and haunting circumstances. There is a deep tribal history here long ago forgotten. There are deeds that took place here that rival the witch hunts of Salem. Ghosts are reputed to wander many of the locations of the island as if they cannot rest because their tales have yet to be told. Join us and our listener Emily Reidner as we explore the history and hauntings of Mackinac Island. Well, Emily, we are so glad to have you joining us. And you suggested that we should check out Mackinac Island. And this is a location that has always fascinated me ever since I saw the movie Somewhere in Time. I was like, what a cool place. And then when I found out it really is like it was in the movie, there's no cars there. It's horse and carriage. It's like stepping back in time. I was like, this sounds great since it's got hauntings, too. 
Yep, it really is. I actually, they're technically, I believe it's, there are three automobiles on the island. One of them is, I think it's just a fire truck or maybe it's an ambulance. And then there should be also some form of a work truck as well. But other than that, there's absolutely no automobiles found on the island. It's all horse and carriage. And bikes. Oh, and bikes, of course. Yeah, they joke. I don't know if it's true or not, but apparently you can actually get a speeding ticket if you're biking too fast. That could have been a joke, and my tour guide was just very dry, and I couldn't tell. But it's possible, apparently, to get a speeding ticket from going down a hill too fast. I I believe that. My brother got a speeding ticket in Boulder, Colorado on his bike, so I can totally see that happening. But before we get into all that, why don't we get to know you a little bit better? And so what got you interested in the paranormal? The the house that I grew up in and I'm currently sitting in. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Was that you apologizing to the ghosts? Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Weird stuff has just always happened. It's never been anything super, super dramatic or anything like that. But, you know, it adds up over time that there's definitely something very odd in the house. And we we have a good thing going. We don't bother them. They don't really bother us. So... That's why I said sorry whenever I, you know. <laughs> well, that's good. Acknowledge that. Yeah. So uh, the next question would be, have you had any experiences? And obviously, yes. Oh, yes. I have a laundry list of them. Um, oh, they do your laundry? That's awesome. <laughs> actually, one of them did have to do with whenever I was doing the laundry. My parents were in Hawaii. And, uh, you know, my brother and I are typical kids. And we waited until... I think it was about two days before they were coming home to do like a deep clean of the house, you know, normal teenagers. And uh, I was in our basement folding laundry and I heard somebody say, Emily, and I thought it was my brother, but it wasn't because he was all the way up on the second floor playing video games. And uh, to this day, it's so weird, too, because whenever I recall it, I don't really even know if it was a male or female voice. Hmm. So, yeah. Interesting. How long have you guys lived in the house? My parents moved in in October of 87, so a very long time. And have you been there since you were born? I'm, I'm not sure how old yep. you are. Uh, yep, I'm 24. I was born in 93. So your entire life you've been in a haunted house? Yep. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Mackinac Island is located in Lake Huron between Michigan's lower and upper peninsulas. Europeans arrived in the 17th century, but before that, the Ottawa tribe lived here. Ottawa means traders or to trade in Algonquin. Native tribes living in the area date back to 900 AD, and archaeologists believe that the Anishinaab, which were groups of Algonquin tribes that included the Adawa, treated Mackinac as a sacred center, even believing that the Gitchney Manitou, or Great Spirit, inhabited the island. Manitou means spirit or deity in Algonquin. This was the center of the creation of the world, and the island had the shape of a turtle, which fit with their legends of a turtle that would carry the weight of the world on its back. Mishabos is the great hare, and he is a hero in the Algonquin culture. He usually takes the form of a rabbit, but does occasionally show up in human form. He is credited with forming Mackinac Island. The island became a sacred burial place for the tribal leaders for this reason. When I first started doing the research on Mackinac Island, I had no idea that this little island in Lake Huron would be something that these Native people would consider to be where creation started. I know, and it's just 
I don't know. There's just so many things about this location. It just draws you to it. It really makes you wonder, was it just the shape or was there something else there that made them attribute so much to this particular location? I would vote that there was probably something there that drew them to believe that. Now we have some really fun names coming up that I can't wait to hear you pronounce. Yes, and so anybody who doesn't like my pronunciation, sorry. (laughs) As for the name Mackinac, it is derived from Machila Mackinac or Machini Mackinago, which was the name given to a native people group, the Ojibwa, described as strange. And they claimed that this group would row through the woods, sometimes shooting, but they were never seen. There are a couple of reasons they were not seen. One theory has a historical basis. The Machini Mackinago were nearly exterminated by the Nadwa, which were a group related to the Iroquois. Two members of the nation survived, a man and a woman, and they had children, and the entire group shunned humanity and hid. The other theory is more mystical and claims that the Machini Mackinago ended up becoming a race of supernatural beings now called the Bagoji Nishnabinsag, or little people. These supernatural beings are considered spirits, and because their origins is the island, it is another reason why it is considered sacred. I have to say, you did very well with those names, I think. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see once we get the emails coming in saying, what in the heck were you saying? (laughs) Boy, did you butcher that. (laughs) (laughs) But at least I gave it my best effort. You did. And what we have interesting here, Denise, is another one of these tribes of what appear to be little people, because I don't think they would have called them little people unless they were smaller in stature. Yes, and that seems to be very, very common throughout the world. And what I also found interesting is it seems that these really were a group of Native people there that were massacred, and yet somehow they became this group of supernatural beings. So what are we looking at here? Were these people that were little people that were massacred because perhaps they were different and a few of them survived? Or are we looking at supernatural beings, spirits? Are these the dead who were massacred and they were these little people? And that's what we see going on here. I'm going to vote for the latter one. That would be more fun for us to think that they're a bunch of ghosts of little people. To me, it makes a lot of sense. Well, Mackinac Island, you sent us some great photos. So obviously you've been there. How many times have you visited? That I can remember right off the top of my head. I want to say three times, but I don't know how many times I would have been there as a kid because my mom's from the Upper Peninsula. So it's we have to pass it in order to go across the bridge to get to where her family is. And it's so easy to just, you know, stop over, take a short ferry ride o- over to the island and walk around for an hour or two and Go back, get in the car, and drive the rest of the way. Well, it looks like an absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous island. It has everything that I love to do there. It has state parks, kayaking, canoeing. It looks like there's a fort there and butterfly observatory. So I am all game for coming to visit. It is a really, really cool island. It smells kind of amazing, kind of not, because there's so many lilacs. But there's also a lot of horses. So it has a very distinct scent to it as well. (laughs) <laughs> sort of like, well, I was about to say, I love lilacs until you added the horses. That could be interesting. So it's like yeah. air freshener in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. And it's weird, too, because like the wind will hit you just right. And you're just like, oh, that's amazing. And then it'll hit you again. And you go, no, that's not amazing at all. <laughs> you know what, though? Not so un- unsimilar to our neighborhood because we have a cow pasture nearby. 
And um, we also have the orange groves. So we get the orange blossom, which is an amazing smell. The first time I smelled it, it's like, oh my gosh, what is that smell permeating everything? And then the wind shifts and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, let's get inside. This is disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) So when you get off the ferry, what is like, what do you do? Where do you go? What do you see? So whenever you get off the ferry, you're kind of right at Main Street. You have to go through a little um, like port area. And you'll see all of these carriages that have luggage just piled up on them because as horses are available, you can have your luggage just brought to your hotel for you so you don't have to lug it around. And it's not a big island, so it wouldn't be that big a deal if you had to walk with your luggage from the port to your hotel because many of them are just small bed and breakfasts that are right on Main Street. Grand Hotel, though, it would kind of be a sucky walk to get from the port to the Grand Hotel because it kind of goes up a hill Mm. and you don't really want to do that. Walk out of the port and it's literally as if you've just stepped back in time. You've got the old lanterns along the street. All of the houses are absolutely gorgeous and nothing of this era. And then you've got the actual sound of the horses just clopping along the street and it's It's kind of surreal in a way, especially if you're much older whenever you first go there, because me as a kid, I I was kind of used to it. So going back to the island whenever I was like a teenager, I already kind of knew what to expect. And some of that mysticism was kind of taken away from it for me. Mm -hmm. But if you go there in your teens and above, it's just kind of like, wow, where did I just land myself? Have you stayed overnight on the island? I have not. My parents did, though end of season ish at one of the smaller bed and breakfasts on main street, which they said was quite eerie solely because end of season, you know, people really start to clear out of there. The hotel that they stayed at, I want to say they might've been the only guests. And if they weren't the only ones, they were maybe two other people there. So they were getting the rooms prepared for shutdown. So they would walk down the hallway and just all of the room doors were wide open. So they could kind of peek in And at night, there was no real noise other than just slow footsteps of horses. They also stayed at the Grand Hotel for a weekend. There was this wine gathering that they tried out. They found out that that was the first year that they were going to be extending the Grand Hotel until after Halloween. Because normally the island shuts down before Halloween. Mm. And I can't remember who they were talking to, but it was a woman that worked at the Grand Hotel. And uh, my mom said I could tell that she was not at all excited to be there that long. And she said it, she she got the feeling like stuff kind of happens. She didn't want to be there on Halloween of all days. Hmm. Interesting. Well, you answered one of the questions I was going to ask you is obviously it's not open during the winter. So I was wondering when it shuts down and when it opens up. Shutdown wise, I I do believe it is the last week of October and then open up. uh, It's either end of April or the first week of May. I do know that you can stay there on Mother's Day, but for the most part, people are there June through to September. That's kind of like the really heavy time. Denise, here's an interesting tidbit that you'll love because you're so into national parks. Yellowstone, as most people know, was designated as a national park just three years after it. Mackinac was designated as the country's, it had the second national park designated there. Very cool. So that means I can get a stamp. Yeah, so you had Yellowstone was first and Mackinac Islands National Park is the second. 
One of the main things I noticed when I went on one of the tourist websites for the island is it mentions fudge a lot. So they have a lot of fudge <laughs> there. Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. So that was another part of the scent thing that I forgot was the Mackinac Island fudge is kind of a thing. I want to say even at the grocery stores around here, you can get Mackinac Island fudge flavored ice cream. It's a huge thing. You don't have to go over to the island to get it. There's so many fudge shops in the actual city that you, you don't have to go to the island, but it's not real Mackinac Island fudge unless you go over there. And I know that at a lot of the hotels, instead of putting like a mint on your pillow at night, whenever they do a turndown service, they'll actually leave you a little thing of fudge. Okay, I already know we're staying there. <laughs> <laughs> the French were the first Europeans to arrive here, and they set up a trading post for their fur trade. The British came and defeated the French and used the island as a strategic port. Above the limestone Straits of Mackinac sits Fort Mackinac, built from the limestone of the bluffs. It was built in 1780 by the British, who held it during the American Revolution, and surprisingly during that war, it did not see any action. In 1796, the fort officially was handed over to the United States. That lasted until the War of 1812, when the British took back the fort. It was under the command of American Lieutenant Porter Hanks. He was greatly outnumbered, with about 200 men facing 80 British and Native American canoes and small boats. I couldn't find a number, but if you figure you could put at least five men in each of those canoes and small boats... And you times that by 80, there was probably double the British coming at them. He surrendered without a fight, fearing his men would be massacred. The Treaty of Ghent signed in 1815 put Fort Mackinac back in American hands. It is not surprising that Fort Mackinac is reputedly haunted. Typhoid fever ripped through and killed as many as 13 children living at the fort. These children are seen as full-bodied apparitions, and their toys are sometimes found strewn about. There are also the haunting sounds of babies crying. In the guardhouse, people claim to feel cold spots and orbs have been seen and photographed. In the Officer Hill's apartment quarters, furniture moves on its own and the security motion detectors are set off when nobody is inside. The hospital reportedly has one of the creepiest supernatural occurrences. Phantom limbs are seen. Can you imagine? That would be the worst. It's one thing to just see a phantom body but just like a phantom arm or leg. That would be really creepy. It would remind me just of like all those horrors, horror movies. I'm like, no, no, thank you. Yeah. Apparitions are also seen at the North Sally Port entrance gate and wall, and the haunting sounds of a fife plane have been heard here too. A soldier was hanged on Rifle Range Trail for shooting and killing another soldier. The story claims that he was framed, and perhaps that is why he's seeking vengeance and haunts the trail. People claim to feel bullets whizzing past their ears and their hair is pulled. The sounds of crunching leaves and snapping twigs are heard even though nobody is seen walking nearby. And there have been a couple of visitors who have been thrown to the ground. Industry came after the war headed by John Jacob Astor. He founded the American Fur Company on Mackinac Island and it exported beaver pelts for 30 years. The agency house for that company was built in 1820 and was home to the company's Mackinac Island agent Robert Stewart. It is now open to the public as a fur trade museum. Commercial fishing also became prominent and eventually replaced the fur trade as the island's primary industry. Tourism would take over after the Civil War and the nation's second national park was established here as Mackinac National Park. Summer cottages were built along the island's bluffs and shops popped up to sell wares to the tourists. There has been a historical ban on motor vehicles in place on the island since 1898 that remains today. 
Well, obviously, if we're talking about Mackinac Island on our podcast, it's got ghosts there. And the history behind this island, first of all, is a giant Native American burial ground to begin with. Mm-hmm. Then you put the Fort Mackinac on it, which has seen a little bit of battle. So you got people who've died there. And then you have a tourist destination where obviously things happen. So there's some ghostly activity going on in several locations there. I remember a few years ago, whenever I really like hardcore was getting into the whole paranormal thing, I uh, was looking up Mackinac Island and there is a lot there. And I think it probably does have to do with the Native American burial ground. I'm a firm believer in the idea that you do not mess with Native American anything, (laughs) let alone burial grounds. The famous Grand Hotel was built in the late 1880s and has become one of the most prominent landmarks on the island. The Grand Hotel is supposed to be haunted, obviously, as well. Yeah, and I don't know if you noticed by the pictures that I sent you. Those were actually from my parents' stay, by the way. Those were not those were not mine. I remember getting those in a text message and my mom being my mom saying, come play with us, Emily, because it does look like the Stanley Hotel in there. It does have that look to it, especially, you know, when you see something that's all white, it's a long hotel. It does have mm-hmm. that same look. The Grand Hotel is Victorian in style and officially opened in 1887. The Michigan Central Railroad, Grand Rapids and Indiana Railroad, and Detroit and Cleveland Steamship Navigation Company formed the Mackinac Island Hotel Company and buy the land upon which to build the hotel. Construction begins immediately on what had been a graveyard. The name really fits this magnificent place of lodging. The front is styled with a long columned porch that is the longest in the world, and it is from here that one can board a horse and buggy to visit the rest of the island. The porch becomes a place for gathering. After opening, Grand Hotel Manager James, the Comet Hayes, invites an agent of Edison Phonographic to conduct regular demonstrations of the new invention. Mark Twain once gave a lecture in 1895 at the Grand Hotel Casino. Rates at the hotel in the 1890s ran from $3 to $5 a night. By the early 1900s, it cost $6 a night. A desk clerk who started at the hotel in 1919 named W. Stuart Woodfell became sole owner of the Grand Hotel in 1933. Talk about working your way up there, Denise. No kidding. In 1935, a radio salon was added to help patrons enjoy radio programs like Jack Benny's and others. Dan and Amelia Musser bought the hotel in 1979, and in 1980, they opened the doors to the Hollywood production of the movie Somewhere in Time, starring Christopher Reeves, Jane Seymour, and Christopher Plummer. The hotel hosts a weekend every year for fans of the movie. Grand Hotel became a National Historic Landmark in 1989. The hotel has been consistently renovated and wings have been added, with the latest being the Millennium Wing in 2001. In July of this year, and that's 2017, the Grand Hotel will celebrate its 130th anniversary. Did they have anything, any kind of experiences while they stayed there? They did not. She did say that, you know, it's kind of, creepy in there especially at night because the hallways are so long and you kind of feel like you're just kind of going and going and going forever but they never really had any sort of ghostly experiences I was kind of hoping for it my poor father he does not like this sort of thing but I was like fingers crossed tell me something happened (laughs) well he's probably glad because one of the things that's supposed to be haunting it is this big black mass that is malevolent and has red eyes, the kind of thing you don't really want to ever run into. 
No, absolutely not, especially at night. (laughs) (laughs) Have you heard about any of the hauntings at the hotel? I did hear that there is supposedly somebody in the ballroom around the stage area. I, I think it's a workman that may have died while on a ladder, I think it was. But somebody had seen somebody working and they had figured, oh, he's fixing something. And then they realized that he had just kind of disappeared. I mean, if you are actually a worker and you're working and then you disappear, you're highly inefficient. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. During the construction, workers found so many skeletons that they lost count. And since they didn't know what to do with them, they put most of them back and just covered them over. Yeah, that sounds about right for a whole island being dedicated to a burial ground. (laughs) This could be one of the reasons why the hotel has a reputation for being haunted. Nowadays, we'd call up the local museum and archaeologists and say, hey, do you guys want to come out here and do a dig and figure out who these people are and get a history here? Two maintenance workers were surveying the hotel's theater stage when they got that unmistakable feeling that they were being watched, and they met up with a dark entity. A dark mass formed across from them on the stage, and two red glowing eyes appeared at the top of the massive shadow figure. The figure remained in place for a moment and then suddenly moved quickly towards one of the workers, knocking him from the stage. He was rushed to the hospital unconscious, and when he awoke, he swore he would never go back to the hotel, and he never did. I was going to say, I hope you quit. That that would be a worth it job quitting right there. Yeah, you cannot pay me enough to have black shadows rush me and push me off a stage. No. Yeah, no, not at all. There's something about cigar smoke as well near the piano bar. There is an apparition that has made appearances on the second floor at the piano bar. He is seen wearing a top hat and smoking a cigar. Even after he disappears, the distinctive smell of his cigar wafts through the room. And I'm thinking that you probably are no longer allowed to smoke in the hotel. So where would that smell be coming from? The employee housing is haunted by the ghost of a woman wearing Victorian clothing. She sometimes curls up in bed with the terrified employees. Not sure who she's supposed to be. They don't have a name or anything for her. And we have several pictures that Emily's mom took when they were there on a trip back in 2010. It's just beautiful looking at the carpeting there and the walls. It reminds me of when we go to the boardwalk here at uh, Disney, Denise. Uh huh. Has that same kind of coloring, that seaside boardwalk look. Absolutely. One of the stories actually that I have has to do with the Skull Cave. Ooh, I have not heard about the Skull Cave. So I actually had pulled up a bunch of the uh, Native American legends that actually go with the island. And one of them was Skull Cave. Now, Skull Cave itself was a burial ground. And they supposedly would keep their warriors in that. And back in the days of the British being here and exploring, there was some stuff that went down, as you mentioned, some wars, the Pontiac Wars in particular, whose name was it? It was Alexander Henry. He was a British explorer. He kind of was in the wrong place, wrong time and was captured. Can't remember the name of the Indian chief who came and rescued him and couldn't get him away from the area safely. So he stowed him essentially on Mackinac Island in the Skull Cave. And Alexander Henry didn't really know the significance of that. So he thought he was spending the night in this small cave safely realized he was not getting very comfy because of all the twigs, only to find out in the morning that those were not twigs. They were actually skeletons. Oh, jeez. Yep. 
that's not a good that's not a good mattress at all. No, I would not want to be sleeping on a bunch of phones. Plus, not to mention how uncomfortable it would be. I'm sure they weren't happy about being slept on either. No, 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 <laughs> not at all. So, do they have people who have seen ghosts in there? I'm not sure if they've seen actual ghosts at the Skull Cave. I would assume that that's probably a pretty active area. Whenever I took my tour, the tour guide did not mention anything in that particular area. In fact, he kind of more or less glossed over any sort of paranormal activity. Mm-hmm. You guys have looked at plenty of places and you know that some places don't want that to be the draw. Exactly. So they kind of are like, yeah, no, that's that's not here, even though everybody knows. Yes, yes, it is. I did see that they do have a ghost tour there. So there's at least one company that tries to embrace it. So if people are staying overnight, I'm sure that's an option they can do. I'll have to look into that one next time I'm up there. Have you seen the drowning pool over there? Oh, that rings a bell. Is it, call- is it officially called the drowning pool or do they call it something else? That's all I know it as. So I'm not sure. I'm not even sure if it actually still, I'm thinking it still has got to be there. The Drowning Pool is located between Mission Point Resort and downtown Mackinac. There's a 20-foot drop-off of a cliff. It was the perfect spot for torturing women accused of witchcraft. Many may not think of Mackinac Island when one talks of witchcraft trials and hysteria, but it did happen here. While Salem seems to have had its witchcraft trials evolve around the use of natural remedies and a desire to rip property out from under the control of women, Accusations of witchcraft at Mackinac seem to have a basis in shutting down brothels and going after prostitutes. There were many brothels that sprang up around the island with the popularity of tourism that began in the late 1700s and early 1800s. The blame for men finding themselves in these dens of iniquity was placed squarely on the women. But of course it was. Their ability to seduce men to come inside was attributed to witchcraft. Never mind that they were scantily clad and had certain parts of the anatomy that men liked, you know, had to be witchcraft. The drowning pool was used in the same way as water tests in other places like Hanover, Salem, New York, and villages in Europe. Rocks were tied around these women's ankles and they were thrown into the lagoon. If they floated, they were declared a witch. If they sank, they were innocent but also dead. Which, you know, makes perfect sense. (laughs) I imagine that none of the women floated because in reality, we all know that even if women or men are witches, that does not necessarily mean that they can float in water when they have rocks tied around their ankles. You kind of, it makes me wonder who came up with the ridiculous test Yes, I have no idea what would make them think that the one of the perks of being a witch is that you can float on water when you are tied with rocks. Because most human beings, you turn over on your back and you relax and you can float. Now, there are some people who just sink. I'm one of those lucky people that I just bob like a cork. I have a hard time, like when we used to have to dry, dive down in school when we had the tests and you'd have to dive down and get the brick off the bottom of the pool. I could not do it because I just, I, I'm like a cork for some reason. Maybe I'm full of holes. Then you would have been accused of being a witch. Just saying. <laughs> I would have totally been a witch back then because I think even if they tied rocks around my ankles, I might have actually floated. The drowning pool is said to be haunted to this very day by the women who lost their lives in this barbaric practice. Shadows come out of the water and the water remains unstirred. No splashes and no ripples. So... There is no explanation for it. You can't say, well, maybe it was a fish jumping or 
an animal or who knows. The water does not move, but here comes these human-looking forms. They say that it is supposedly one of the scariest and most dangerous places on the island. Huh, because at first I was wondering if it was maybe around where Arch Rock is. So, because they, they say that that's kind of the bridge that you cross over and it will determine where your uh, soul is going to be in the afterlife. Yeah, the only thing I see here is it's located between the Mission Point Resort and Mackinac's downtown area. It's a 20-foot drop-off. When I'm looking at the pictures, I mean, there are some drop-offs here, but I don't see, like, where there would be water near that. Yeah, the lake's dangerous, too. The Great Lakes in general are really dangerous, kind of like the ocean is. There's a lot of sunken ships in it, so I would not be shocked at all if they just kind of called it the drowning pool when actually it's just the lake. Another haunted location is the inn at Stone Cliff. D. Schaefer wrote, My wife and I stayed at the inn at Stone Cliff. The first night we were in a room on top of the stairs that we were told the staff used as an area to fold clothing and such. We had things move on us while we slept about 3 a.m. that morning, including my luggage being unzipped and a wine bottle breaking open when we slept. Needless to say, I had a sleepless night after and the bed and breakfast staff didn't want to talk about paranormal activity, although at least one other guest experienced something that night. The Bogan Lane Inn is also apparently haunted. The ghost of a little girl reportedly haunts this location. Staff and guests have seen and heard her ghost, and they describe her as having long hair. She plays with the piano and has been heard saying that she wants to go home. And yet another resort that has some hauntings is the Mission Point Resort. It is said to be the most haunted place on the island. Have you been out to the Mission Point Resort at all? Not the Mission Point Resort, no. The first structure here was built in 1782 by British Captain Daniel Robertson after he became the commander of Fort Mackinac. It was a small house about a mile from the fort, and the captain used it to entertain his fellow officers. He had brought two of his slaves with him, Jean and Marie Jean Banga. He freed them when he was reassigned. After several years, the outcrop where the house was built collapsed and people started calling it Robertson's Folly, which over time changed to Robertson's Folly. And nobody knows why the name change happened. It's probably like playing that game telephone. Uh, Somebody changed the name somewhere along the way. A mission house was built in the area in 1825 by the Protestant church and a school was open. That is how the location came to be known as Mission Point. The mission shut down in 1837 when the state of Michigan was admitted to the United States. A man named Edward Franks bought the unused mission building in 1845 and decided to open a hotel. He added a third story and reopened it as Mission House Hotel in 1849. The Franks family ran the hotel until 1939 when they sold the property. It was reestablished as a boarding house. In 1946, a judge named Miles Fillimore bought the property and offered it as a summer place for the Moral Rearmament Movement. The Moral Rearmament Movement began in England in 1908 under a man named Frank Buckman. In the 1920s, it gained a foothold in the universities of the United Kingdom, and it was finally given the name the Oxford Group. It changed its name to Moral Rearmament Movement in 1938, and this is when the ideology really had its heyday up until the 1950s. And before that time, it was more of a religious thing, and then it started getting very political. The ideology held the Christian beliefs and pushed people to clean up all that is in you, which is in conflict with Christian belief and mirror yourself in the Oxford groups for absolutes, love, purity, honesty, and selflessness. 
Open yourself up to divine guidance and share your sins with someone you trust. And through this, you will find a healthy and lasting freedom. You know, talking of the Oxford group, some of you might be a little bit more familiar with another organization that kind of started in the Oxford group and then and then blossomed into something else, and that is Alcoholics Anonymous. At its core, the MRA had the makings of a cult, and it chose Mackinac Island as a place to set up its World Conference Center. It used the Mission Point Resort for that purpose in the 1950s. The MRA built a Great Hall complex that is the largest single indoor space on the island, and it is meant to resemble a teepee. The structure features 51-foot logs cut from one of the last stands of virgin Norway pine. The MRA claimed that they were inspired to build the teepee-like building by a native legend that said the Great Spirit would gather all the nations in the giant teepee one day, and they would find the secret of peace. Even though the MRA still exists today as initiatives of change, it lost much of its influence by the 1960s, and in 1966, the buildings were donated to Mackinac College. The college did not last long and only graduated one class in 1970. The property then became the Mackinac Hotel and Conference Center in the 1970s. John Schufelt bought the property in 1987 and changed the name to Mission Point Resort. Smaller buildings were torn down, new ones were built, the front lawn was placed, and the Point's famous Adirondack chairs were added as were several restaurants. Mission Point Resort was purchased in 2014 by a couple from San Antonio, Texas, Dennert and Susan Ware. They are planning a multi-million dollar renovation over the next few years. As we said, this location is considered the one to have the most supernatural activity on the island. Harvey is the most famous ghost at this location. He was a student at the college who fell madly in love with another student. He asked her to marry him, but she refused. He walked off into the woods, despondent, and committed suicide. He was declared missing in February, and his body was found in July. He had apparently shot himself, but there were two gunshots to his head, and there was no gun found by the body. This has caused many to believe that he was actually murdered but his death was officially ruled a suicide. I don't know enough about the human brain, but isn't there a certain place where if you do get shot in the head, you still are conscious? Yes. So, I mean, I wouldn't say that you could not possibly shoot yourself twice in the head, but uh, it is it is a little bit of a strangety there. A little oddity. Yeah. Mission Point has a theater that is now used as a center for the arts at Mission Point Resort and is operated by the Mackinac Arts Council. This theater has a ghost that likes to play around. He plays practical jokes on men and flirts with the ladies, pinching and poking them. He also has been seen wandering the resort, and paranormal investigators have caught EVPs of a young male voice and humming. A child's voice has been heard calling for people that are assumed to be the parents. A woman's voice has been heard singing and humming. And Native American apparitions have been seen inside and outside of the resort. And I know Ghost Hunters has been out there. I'm not sure if any of the other shows have been out there. I want to say I had seen that episode, and it was back whenever uh, Island was shut down because they had to fly in. Oh, wow. Yeah, because there's two ways to get to the island whenever it's, you know, froze over like that. You can either risk it in snowmobile, which, I mean, people that live there will tell you it's perfectly fine. But then there are people like me who says, absolutely not. There's no way you could pay me enough to do that. And then there's flying in because there is a small airport on the island. The notes that I have here, they went in February and it was like minus 15. Oh, no oh yeah, way. that sounds about right. 
Mm. <laughs> oh, no. No, I would not be visiting and wanting to walk around. I wonder if they, because <laughs> I know they mostly did the Mission Point Resort. I wonder if they, they have to keep some kind of, well, I don't know. If they took all the water out of the pipes, they wouldn't have to necessarily keep the heat on. So I don't know if they had any heat or anything. Over. Well, I would hope for the people that work there, because even though the island does kind of empty out, for the most part, if you were to call, you know, any of those hotels, there is somebody who is answering them. Because I had to call to make some reservations. Oh, man. I think it was in January or February one year. We ended up having to cancel that trip, though. So that's why I didn't get to stay overnight. But people do live on the island year round. It's just a very small number. Most of that population is only there for about half of the year. Yeah, so it would be like The Shining where you have one family in this huge hotel just taking care of things. Well, I know that up there, there's also a lighthouse, speaking of like the peninsula getting across. And so have you heard of any hauntings? Because I just know my experience is whenever we visit lighthouses, it seems like they all have at least one ghost. Have you heard of any hauntings in the lighthouse, in the Round Island Lighthouse? Not in the lighthouse. I've had to, I have to look more into that one, but I do know that there's quite a few lighthouses up there. There, which, which one is it that you're? Oh, well, I was to? just asking, but any of them, I just love all lighthouses, but I was just reading a little bit about Round Island Passage Light. It was like one of the first ones, I think. It had been abandoned after they got the automated ones going, but that one actually had light keepers staying there. There is one on the mainland that actually looks quite castle-like. It's all stone, and it's very nice. It's quite convenient whenever I'm trying to tell people where things are in my state. I just have to hold up a hand. Yeah, we won't talk about the shape of Florida. Because <laughs> <laughs> we can't really show you because we're girls anyway, so just saying. Yeah. Well, we'd have to whip out to show you where we live in Florida, yeah. No, <laughs> we need a boy. <laughs> Well, Emily, we want to thank you for suggesting this to us and joining us to talk about it and give us kind of a, a bird's eye view of it because we've never been there. So it's always nice to have somebody who can describe the location to us. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. All righty. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. The legends and lore of Mackinac Island are captivating. The beauty of the island is an intense draw. And for those of us who love to embrace the past and get away from the hustle and bustle of the city, it is perfect. But something from the other side seems to be stirring here. Are there really that many spirits at unrest here? Is Mackinac Island haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, looking forward to checking that out. On our next episode, we're going to bring you something a little different than I think we have ever done before. We're going to host a roundtable, and we've done that before when it comes to the theme of Halloween. But this one is going to have a different theme. It's going to be about Shakespeare. We've had people suggest that we do Shakespeare as a life and afterlife. The problem is, well, there's a couple of problems. Number one, we can't find anywhere that Shakespeare seems to be haunting. Number two, that might be because there is some dispute as to who Shakespeare really was and if he wrote all of the works that are attributed to him. And wouldn't you know, in our little old spectacular crew, we have several people that have different theories when it comes to that. So they're going to be joining us in the next episode to discuss these different theories. Then, of course, we have to get into a little bit of the supernatural. Anybody that's read many of the plays of Shakespeare, you know that he used to like to use ghosts quite a bit as characters in those plays. So we'll be talking about his use of ghosts. 
We'd love to have you check out our website at historygoesbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And you can send us feedback in a variety of ways. Some people like to message us over on the History Goes Bump page, and Bela did that. Said, hi, girls. The Summer Wind podcast was especially fascinating. I just loved it. I also just wanted to share that when Diane says at the end of each podcast, you take care now, I feel like you really mean it. Love you guys. So I wrote her back and I said, we absolutely do mean it. We want you guys to take care. Matthew Herons has drawn a picture of our ghost in parachute pants. It is fabulous. I've put it up on our Instagram. Absolutely love it. And Amanda shared that she had just stayed at the Bourbon Orleans Hotel in New Orleans. We stayed on the second floor, not the most haunted floor. It was a nice room. It felt a little creepy, but I blame that on knowing the hotel's reputation. So while taking a shower, I mentioned to my husband that the black tile all over the bathroom was an odd choice. And he said, I heard a tour guide say it was put in so that people could see the footprints of the ghost children. I thought he was just trying to scare me, so I shrugged it off. But when I got out of the shower, I could see a footprint on the mirror up in the corner, and it was way smaller than my husband's. I tried not to think about it and actually slept pretty well. The next day, my husband went down to get coffee. While he was gone, I heard a whisper. I flipped out and said that it wasn't funny, but no one was there. My husband didn't even have a key spooky stuff. And we also have some reviews to share from iTunes. The first one comes from Pixmaster, Love, History, and Spooky, five stars. This podcast is fantastic. Hosts have a great chemistry together, yay marriage, and research each topic well. Most places I've never heard of before, so it's very interesting. I've been binging every episode as I'm a late night baker, 8 p.m. to 3 a.m. Probably not the best idea while baking alone at midnight, but I love it. (laughs) Make sure you don't burn yourself if you get spooked. And then we have Lady Night, 1985, Fascinating History and Ghost Lore, five stars. I kept hearing about this podcast through others I listened to, and I'm so glad I finally checked it out. If you love to watch those true ghost stories on TV, then check this one out. Don't get turned off by the first few episodes. It's the sound quality and format greatly improve. I really love the locations they explore, and they do such a good job researching the history. The silly banter between the hosts lightens up the spooky and sometimes dark material. The hosts both have great personalities and are very interactive with their listeners. This is a very balanced podcast. Great job. Thank you, Lady Knight. We appreciate that. Yes, thanks. We're so glad you guys could join us for this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We want to welcome new executive producers, Glenna Becker and Dark Angel Daria, who right after signing up has already increased her pledge, who is co-host of the Disaster Digital Podcast. And we also want to thank the following executive producers for increasing their pledges. Dylan McNamara, Krista Klein, Sarah Parrott, and Angie Reynoso-Akbarzad. Thanks! Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.